Let's pray. Lord, as we sang here in this room a few minutes ago, Holy Spirit, come Holy Comforter, thy sacred witness bear in this glad hour, thou who almighty art now ruling every heart and there from us to part spirit of power. And that is our prayer, that you come Holy Spirit and open our eyes to see and to know you as we study the word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as a New Year's a theme. We're going to be in Hebrews 12 for the next two Sundays. The book of Hebrews is written to a group of people who were discouraged, beat down, vacillating in their faith. Um, some were beginning to go back to their previous faith system. And so it's an encouragement to stay strong in the Lord. But several statements are made in Hebrews, for example, chapter 2, verse 1. He talks about hearing and abiding and embracing scripture and says this that therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it it's just easy to drift you just you just drift chapter 3 verse 12 says this take care brothers lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart which turns away from the living god or falls away from the living God. So it's, you just fall, you, you turn. It's, it's a gradual thing. And then chapter 5, he talks about their cognitive understanding of, of the gospel and the apostolic message. And he says, uh, chapter 5, verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need for someone to once again teach you the elementary principles of the word of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child so he says you're 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 unskilled in the word of righteousness you're not growing in your knowledge of the lord and then in chapter 12 verse 12 says therefore lift up your drooping hands and your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather it may be healed. So here's a church that many of them were, were drifting. They were turning. They weren't growing in their understanding. They were vacillating. They had drooping hands and weak knees. And let's be very honest, it's easy for that to happen. It's very easy. It, it's easy to just become part of the meandering group instead of going strong and yet this church went strong had gone strong listen to how the writer describes him in chapter 10 verse 32 he says but recall the former days when after you were enlightened you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that you... When you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So he says, you know, in the past, you, you joyfully endured the plundering of your property. You identified with those who were in prison because of their faith in Christ. 
You stressed yourself out. Therefore, you have need for confidence and endurance. And so I want to answer that question this morning. How do you live and run the Christian life with endurance? And we're going to go to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance or perseverance or expectation the race that is set before us. We'll take two Sundays to discuss these two verses, but how do we run an enduring race? And here's my thesis. We run the race in endurance by understanding we have received a legacy. We will leave a heritage of faith and that eternity awaits as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he says, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, talking about the heroes of the faith in chapter 11, a great cloud of witnesses. So, so, you, so we run with purpose and we run with dignity. We don't run with an aimlessness, or as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, like a man beating the air, but we run with a sense of calling and dignity and purpose. In Romans 14, the early church was being beset by an issue of dietary laws and feast days and fast days. Some people said we ought to have kosher laws of regarding dietary intake, and others said not. And some people had feast days and fast days, and some said not. And it was causing division in the church. And this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 14, verse 7 and following. He says, listen, none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die as unto the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. We live to the Lord. We die to the Lord. We belong to the Lord. We live with purpose and dignity. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. There's a statement in the bulletin about three resolutions for mental health that comes from a list of 10 resolutions for mental health by a guy named Clyde Kilby who taught at Wheaton for years and years and years, professor of literature. And this is what he says. He's going to read part of the three. He says, he says at least uh, once every day, I will steadily look up at the sky and remember that I, a consciousness with a conscience, am on a planet traveling in space with wonderful, mysterious things above and about me. It's a great creation. Number two. Instead of the accustomed idea of a mindless and endless evolutionary change to which we can either add nor subtract, I shall suppose the universe is guided by an intelligence that has a beginning and an end as far as the plan for our lives. And this intelligence is the living God. Number three, I shall not fall into the falsehood that this day or any day is merely another ambiguous and plotting 24 hours, but rather a unique event filled, if you so wish, with worthy potentialities. In other words, right now counts forever. You see, when you understand these things, 
great cloud of witnesses, run with endurance, that we have received a legacy, we'll leave our heritage, eternity awaits. And when you understand these things, there are no little people, there are no little places that everything really counts. But what I do for others in the name of Christ, what I do with my life has incredible consequences. There's a book I mentioned last week, the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, and in the book of Zechariah, the people have come back from the Babylonian captivity. They're discouraged. They're beat down. They've heard about the former glory of the great city of Jerusalem, and now they see nothing but rubble. They've heard about the former glory of the temple and its magnificence, and they've been commissioned to build a new temple, but they say it's former glory. This glory will not be as good as a former, and they're just discouraged and beat down, and they have weak knees and failing arms. And so God gives them eight prophecies in the book of Zechariah to start this book. And I mentioned the fourth prophecy last week about Joshua and being a brand plucked from the burning. And then the next prophecy is in chapter 4. And the Lord shows Zechariah uh, two olive trees and a lampstand. And Zechariah says in verse 6 of chapter 4, and I what are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. And then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, who's the governor who's supposed to build the temple, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. And then he says this, says, do not despise the day of small things. Because basically the small things lead to a glorious day. And I say to us this morning, I say, I say, I say brothers and sisters in Christ church, do not despise the day of small things. Because what God has called you to do, your duty has eternal consequences and he's shot through with glory do not think this is just another plotting day another another year you know you get older you think good grief it's already 2015 i remember when i started dating my checks and i had to pause at the year remember that some of us are older when i was younger i just flipped it out and i said well, what year is this to no every day is shot through with glory every day do not despise the day of small things you have received a legacy you're leaving a legacy of faith, and eternity awaits. He says here, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And let me ask you this. Who is in your great cloud of witnesses who's gone before you? You say, well, Hebrews 11 talks about the heroes of the faith. It does, but that's just the beginning of the church. I mean, the church is growing. So, so who is in your great cloud of witnesses? I love history, and I've told you this before, but there are times when I walk the halls early or late, and I'll, I'll imagine men and women who have gone before me and who have lived fearlessly. Some of my heroes. I'll stop and I'll think of, I'll think of uh, Athanasius. I'll think of Augustine. Came right behind Athanasius. I'll think of... John Calvin or Spurgeon or J.P. Boyce, who's from Charleston and started Southern Seminary, or I'll start, I'll think of Jim Elliott, who this week, this week on January the 8th, 1956, Jim Elliott, age 28, was martyred in Ecuador because he's trying to take the gospel to the Indians, South Indians. I'll think of William Carey. I'll think of this, then I'll think of, of people whom I've known in my life who are with the Lord now, who breathe Christ into me. 
And, and I'll say to myself and to the Lord, I've received a legacy. I dare not, dare not blow it. I dare not drop the baton in my leg of this race. And so I'm, I'm going to go home today and write down three to seven names who are in your witnesses. Who, who are the witnesses that surround you? Not only that, but I, I am, I'm surrounded by a cloud of witnesses who are coming behind me. I'll go out into the hallway any day of the week, Monday to Friday, and there'll be scores of children from Palmetto Christian Academy, our school, running up and down the hall, or not really running, walking up and down very orderly, very quietly. <laughs> and and I, I just stop and I say, you know, I, I, God, do not let me, do not let me blow it for these kids. Let me be strong in the Lord. Let me teach the truth and live the truth. We're, brothers and sisters, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We're we have received a legacy, we're passing it on, and eternity awaits as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's another worldview. Um, some young people have given me this, YOLO. It's an acrostic. It stands for you only live once. YOLO. Now, now when people say that and they're younger, they're not saying you only live once, live it as under the Lord. They're saying go for broke. But when I was younger, We'd had, we had a beer commercial that said YOLO in a different way. It was, remember those of you, Schlitz malt liquor beer, the beer that made Milwaukee famous, and then the, the byline was this, you only go around once in life, grab it for all the gusto you can. Schlitz malt liquor. That's, that was YOLO 30 years ago. But, but, but YOLO means I live into myself, I call the shots, I am the final arbiter of truth. It's me. And there, there is a, 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 a corresponding degree of YOLO-ness, if you will. There are noble people who say that and who make good neighbors and congressmen and leaders because and, they live as, with, with nobility. And there are others who slide down the scale and they're just kind of bohemian. But, but, but the final analysis is they call the shots. There's no enduring legacy they've received. They'll leave a legacy behind. And eternity doesn't, certainly does not await. YOLO. You're surrounded by people who say that. Now, last week I had the privilege of uh, holding um, a little baby. Eight weeks old. Beautiful baby. And I was looking at this baby and uh, really just started looking at the ears. I had perfect ears. I said to the mom... This baby should be a baby ear model. I mean, this just beautiful ears, and, and really is a beautiful baby. And I was holding this baby, and the thought crossed my mind. It says, surely, surely, we can agree that taking life in the womb is destructive to the child, to the mom, to the culture, to the family. And the answer is, we cannot. Because at least 25% of American people say they believe that life should be taken up until the day of birth. The reason? No one can tell me what to do with my body. I just go, how, how can we do that? See? And my response is, but it's life. And they'll say, 
So, it's my choice. No one can tell me what to do. And I said, there he is. He sits enthroned in heaven. I can't tell you what to do. He can. So that's just, uh, we don't, if you're a Christ follower, you don't live there. You say, no, we've received a, a legacy of faith. We're going to leave a legacy or heritage of faith and eternity. Ways. Therefore, we live with purpose. I was thinking about this when I was reading Genesis this week. And, and there's a guy named Abraham who's mentioned prominently in Hebrews 11, talking about the Old Testament Hall of Fame. And I was reading about, about Abraham in Genesis 12. And Abraham had just been called out by God, and, and God is just bringing the people of God into focus. And it's, let me read these three verses, Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is those promises. Through you, your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I'm going to bring in Messiah through the seed of Abraham. We know that from the rest of Scripture. Romans 4, for example. And, and whoever curses you, I'll curse. And whoever blesses you, I'm going to bless. And later in the passage, it says in verse 7 that then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So, so not only did he hear the promises in some way in the first three verses, but there was a appearance of the living God to Abraham. And at the place where the Lord appeared to him and gave him this incredible promise, he built an altar and had an incredible worship experience. So, wow. And then it says that there was a famine in the land and they had to go into Egypt to get some food. Abraham had a wife. Her name was Sarah. Sarah must have been drop-dead gorgeous. I mean, we're talking about stop camel traffic everywhere, you know, just, whoa, did you see her, you know? I, the reason is because they're going into, the, into Egypt, and, 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 and Abraham knows that she is drop-dead gorgeous, and that he not only outpunted his coverage, he just really outpunted. And so he, she goes to Egypt, he knows that she's going to be the talk of the land. Even all over Egypt, and Pharaoh heard about how beautiful she was. And so, what did Abraham say? Abraham said to her, I am your Lord protector. At the heart of mature masculinity is the desire to protect and defend and, 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 and nurture those under our charge, especially our wives and our children. I am your man. I am your knight. I am your paladin. I am Lancelot. Long before Lancelot was cool, I am the man. He didn't do that. You know what he did? You know what this man of faith who's met with God and worshiped with God and built an altar in the presence of the living God? You know what he said to Sarah? What's this? It's amazing. He said, Sarah, tell the Egyptians you're my sister. How's that for faith? That it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. So if they think you're my sister, they won't kill me. But if they think you're my wife, they'll kill me and they'll take you to be their wife. I'm going, what? 
what a weak-willed, no-backbone guy, Abraham. You don't step back and say, why, 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 why did Abraham do that? Well, there's many reasons, I'm sure, but here, here's what I zeroed in on. The church was embryonic. God's people were embryonic. Abraham wasn't surrounded by brothers and sisters in the Lord. He was surrounded by Lot, who was a regrettable nephew. We found out later he was kind of on his own. And see, part of the problem that the book writer of Hebrews is addressing, he says, do not be on your own. Embrace, rejoice, be glad in the full or body of Christ. Get to know people, walk with people, pray with them. Be encouraged, he says, in fact, in chapter 10, verse 24, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as some people are doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Don't neglect meeting together. And then he says in chapter 3 and verse 13, he says, but exhort one another day after day as long as it's still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Day after day, encourage, build up, strengthen. As you walk in the way of the Lord, we need the body of Christ. We have a legacy. We're leaving a heritage. And we're presently empowered by the reality of Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Christ, by his Spirit, who built the church, is building us today. Hebrews 12, 22 says this. He says, but, but you are, you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, all because of Christ, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God and to the, who's the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. He's the mediator of the new covenant. He intercedes for you in heaven. He prays for his church. He pours out his Holy Spirit. He, he empowers the people of God. I've, I've enjoyed studying and reading and thinking through the last couple of months, two or three books on World War II in, in, in Europe. And 70 years ago, uh, our men were involved in an incredible struggle called the Battle of the Bulge. The Battle of the Bulge was, was one historian says, was Hitler's Hail Mary attempt to win the war. It's a Hail Mary pass. The Nazis knew the, that the Allies were winning, and so Hitler amassed troops that outnumbered our men two to one in men and in machinery and armor, and he secretly, no radio contact, they brought division after division through a dense forest in Belgium, and they were going to split the Allied forces. 90% of them were American fighting men. And, and they were going to turn them and seize the port, key ports in Belgium and sue for peace and say, the war's over, we've, we've, we've won, basically. And many historians said it almost worked. We had no idea that it was happening because there was fog everywhere. We couldn't fly. And so all these German troops came, and they burst through the woods and they split our troops, and you've heard of Baston, made famous by a band of brothers, and these, these men were just hanging on. In this great conflict, 19,000 American men were killed, 26,000 were captured or missing, and 62,000 were wounded. It was horrible. It was horrible. We got some pictures. It was terrible weather. Just 
And the men in Bastogne were told, hang on, hang on, help is coming. And I was recently read a, a tribute written by a man to his father who was at Bastogne. And he said, my dad never talked about the war. He said, well, one day he started talking about it. And he talked about how they were hanging on by their fingernails in Bastogne and that, that cooks who had never been trained to fight were, were firing weaponry because they, they were just, they were so down, they were so outnumbered. And they were told, hang on, help is coming. But there was overcast, we couldn't fly. No, our troops couldn't fly and we couldn't fly and bomb the supply train that brought the Germans their armaments. Um, he said, and then on Christmas Eve, a north wind blew in and the skies cleared. And he said that, he said, my, as my dad told the story, he started weeping. He said, I was in my foxhole. And he said, I felt, I felt the ground moving. And then we looked to the far horizon and we saw all these U.S. planes flying over. He says, on Christmas Eve, we, we flew 1,138 bombers in, fighting bombers. We, we, we flew in 2,442 heavy bombers in. He said, you couldn't even see the sky for all the planes. And we knew help had come. And there's a man sitting here who was a bombardier at the Battle of Bulge. And I, I read that, and I, I, was, I was just, I was moved. And he said, my father said, I can't believe a nation could produce that many planes. And he, the man laughs in his article and says, little did he realize the same thing was happening in the Pacific. Thanks be to God for American ingenuity. And I thought... They're told, hang on, help is coming, and they did, and it came, and the tide turned. From that day forward, the tide turned. And I thought, as, as I run the, the race of life, I, I don't hang on saying help is coming. I stand saying help is here by the power of the Holy Spirit. I need to look up and see God. I, I need to walk with purpose and dignity and grace as I'm empowered by the living God. See, the same God that empowered the church in the past is empowering us today. And God forgive us for not praying big prayers and believing big things and being faithful as unto the Lord. God forgive me for forgetting I've received a heritage, I'm leaving a legacy, and eternity awaits. I was reading a magazine, year-end articles about 2014, and it had a section on things that we found out are definitely good for us in 2014. Let me share those with you. One is exercise, okay? It says some Swedish researchers genetically engineered mice to have high levels of protein that builds up muscles during exercise and then subjected these mice in a control group to substantial low-level stress. After five weeks, the normal mice showed signs of depression, whereas the engineered fit mice did not. Well, my first question is, how do you know when a mouse is depressed? <laughs> I, I just, I thought, well, okay, you're, those, those Swedes are much more intuitively aware of things than I am. Uh, so exercise is good for us. The second thing, coffee is good for us. The people who drank coffee could remember details from conversations and pictures they saw three years, or excuse me, three days ago as compared to those who did not drink coffee. But it went on and said that if you drink too much coffee, you will have, quote, headaches and jitteriness, close quote. Well, we knew that. Another thing that's good for you is standing up. Standing up can delay the effects of aging. Once again, Swedish researchers split a group of men and women into two groups. Half were given a moderate exercise program and told to sit less, and the other half continued their normal lives. After six months, those who stood up and worked at stand-up desks were healthier and happier. 
therefore stand up. Some of you should start standing up right now, okay? <laughs> Eating vegetables is good for us. Eating vegetables reduces your risk of dying. Tracking the eating habits of 65,000 people over 12 years, researchers found that those who consume seven or more portions a day of fresh, fresh fruits or vegetables reduce their risk of death by 42%. Living in Utah is good for you. They interviewed 500,000 people, and they found out that the most happy people were living in Provo, Utah, which is 40 miles south of Salt Lake City, whereas the most unhappy people in America lived in the Ashland-Huntington area where Ohio, Kentucky, and West Virginia meet. We knew that too. <laughs> Fist bumping is good for you. I really think we ought to do this, in all seriousness. We have some physicians here. And I... Fist bumping instead of shaking hands helps prevent the spread of bacteria. A team in Great Britain found that a handshake transferred twice as much bacteria as a high five and ten times more than a fist bump. And then the last one is what I want to mention to you guys. Low expectations are good for you. And a research team came up with this statement. The lower the expectations, the happier they were about winning. And I thought, how many tax dollars went into a study commission to determine that? So really, the key to life is believe the worst, and if anything happens good, then you can be happy about it. Now, I, that's not biblical. I'm, I'm saying, let's believe God is on the throne, and God is building his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail, and let's trust him and go forward. One of my favorite people in my witness deal would be this guy, William Carey. William Carey is called the father of modern-day missions. I mention him frequently. He went to India in 1793. He stayed there for 41 years without ever leaving India, ever coming home. 41 years. He buried a son in India. He had a wife who lost her mind the first year in India, and she lived 13 more years strapped in a chair with leather straps, never left alone. She was suicidal, and she tried to murder her husband. 13 years he did that. He had four boys. As far as I can determine, they all broke his heart except for one. He married again after his first wife died and buried her six years later, married a third time. And he, you know, he, he had a, a, a slogan. He said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And let me say very quickly, he did translate the Bible into seven different languages and numerous dialects, and he was a man of incredible faith and energy, and he was a man who, who exalted Christ by the Spirit. But when you look at the tangible results of what he did, he didn't do that well. He was there seven years before the first person ever professed faith in Jesus. And there wasn't a great tsunami effect of belief, but he was faithful. And he had no idea when he died that he was going to impact millions and millions and millions and millions of people around the globe. Now, for us, what I'm saying is this. God wants to use you where you are. God wants you to be a person who says, I've received a legacy, I will leave a heritage, and eternity waits. And what is done now for the Lord with a spirit of excellence as unto Christ counts in eternity in ways that I will never understand until I get to heaven. Brothers and sisters, don't be discouraged. Don't have drooping hands and weak knees. Don't drift. Don't turn. But run to Christ. Run to the Scripture believe God to do only that which he can do in our midst. Let's pray.
So, Lord, thank you for the, the privilege of just opening the Bible. I just can't get over the privilege of opening the Bible and hearing from you. Thank you for uh, surrounding us with so great a crowd of witnesses. Thank you that all of us are sitting here this morning because somebody spoke Christ to us. A grandmom, a parent, a fellow college student, uh, a co-worker. Somebody spoke Christ to us. And, and, and we are walking in the way of Christ because somebody prayed for and invested in our lives. And somebody invested in their lives and the life of the person invested in them. And it goes all the way back. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And Lord, there are a great cloud of witnesses that are coming behind us. And I pray we live with dignity and courage. Lord, I, uh, it, it, I, and, and I confess to you there are times that my hands droop and my, weak, my knees get weak and I drift. And I pray that, that, would, that, I, that I and this church and we would go forward in faith. I pray we would believe you to do that which only you can do and to trust you, Lord, to really trust you. Um, so blessed be your name this day. In Jesus' name, amen.